welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert. Today's moment is from the opening chorus of the cantata Herr Deine Augen, BWV 102. Somewhere around the year 1000, all these chants that people were using in church were starting to be written down. But for that, they had to invent a system of music notation. And we take it for granted now that that was something that had to be invented. I mean, even systems of writing, like alphabets, are relatively not that much older. They're you know, thousands of years older. But music notation is newer. There's not that many systems of strict music notation that exists around the world. Most music that is performed is not necessarily written down, but passed down by oral tradition or improvised. I mean, do you think it's safe to say, Alex, that 99.5% of all music that has ever existed is not written down? Yeah, it's probably more like 99.999 yeah. or something. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like if you think of a symphony orchestra, that is completely controlled and it's all written down. And they can't even play a wrong note in there. And they can't really improvise, you know? Yeah. But that's really not how most music is in the world. Right. But in the early medieval periods, they did start figuring out systems to write down some simple chants. And for that, they needed to figure out how to write down some note collections that are in what we would now call scales or modes. And in doing so, they found that certain things about chant became revealed that you would write down and that you would then also sing and some things that you might even avoid because they didn't sound pleasing to the ear. And the most famous of these is the devil in music, the Diablos in musica, which is a musical interval between two notes. And that interval is what we now call the tritone. Depending on how music is written, the precise name of this interval could be rendered as an augmented fourth or a diminished fifth. Tritone. Bum, bum, bum. Which actually the second and third note of that is a tritone. <laughs> yeah, the first note from the first to the second isn't, but from the second bum, to the third. Bum, is just a minor third, but bum, bum, tritone. Exactly. So it's used to great effect to be kind of scary, maybe. But actually, the rules of this really, really early music dictated that you couldn't really ever have two consecutive notes that was that were that interval. And so they would get around this by various other ways. And then, after around the year 1600, 1650, composers started to realize that they could include these notes in harmony to create a really biting effect and they were starting to not worry about that it was illegal and they were getting comfortable with doing it. But it could still be used to great effect. In the music of Bach, this interval has the meaning of tension and discord. Yeah. I mean, it even 
it even acoustically is discordant. When, when you have this interval appearing in music, it's a moment of tension that must be resolved to a moment of stability. Yeah, one classic sort of resolution of a tritone happens in a really common cadence, which is the cadence of a dominant chord, specifically a dominant seventh chord, to a tonic chord. Two of the voices of the first chord have to resolve into the next chord, and those two voices are a tritone apart, and they sound sketchy, you know, until they resolve, and then they sound nice. A good place for that to happen is at a satisfying conclusion of a musical phrase at the last two chords, one of tension and then one of release. So wouldn't it be very striking and strange if you were to compose a musical phrase of melodic tritones and ended this phrase on a tritone? I think it would. Yeah, and you'd think it would sound so strange that it would be considered kind of modern or at least 20th century music, 20th century classical music kind of kind of strangeness, you know? You wouldn't expect to see that much dissonance in a melody from the Baroque era. Right. But if it did happen, it would happen within the context of some very extreme text painting. Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock, and they have refused to return. text of this cantata with his magnificent huge opening chorus that I just uh, shared with you the English translation is very admonishing isn't it it's yeah. almost like a prescription of how you should behave because you've gone astray let's say and it's a little scary I mean it's not it's not encouraging at all it's basically just describing people in the world who have strayed from God and that they have, it says, made their faces harder than a rock and refused to return. We were hinting at this last week in our episode that this kind of thing might happen and these themes might happen in music and they might be depicted by composers like Bach. But the thing is with the Christian doctrine that is always at the heart and soul of Bach's cantata texts is that you have to put them into context this cantata is basically the law of God. There are um, images that seem to come from the Old Testament and the New Testament in here. It brings to mind the passage in the New Testament where Jesus goes to the temple, the house of God, and he figures out that there's all these people in there selling stuff. Right. And it's really against the rules for merchants to do their business inside a house of worship. And in an interesting and unusual display of of uh, emotion, Jesus gets really mad and he starts flipping tables and stuff. Yeah. So the thing is, is that sometimes we can get carried away with, with this stuff when we don't remember the, what's the opposite. But the thing is about this Christian doctrine that Bach is setting so perfectly to music here is that it has to be really, really intense 
so that we can understand that there are things that you can do that are bad so that you can then learn that there is the good of Jesus and the reason why he was sent into the world, which was to absolve that bad. So there's always this dichotomy in this Christian church music that we always have to be aware of when we study it and listen to it. Otherwise, it's just going to sound like doom and gloom music. But that's only part of the story. And this really is the difference between law and gospel. Law is what you must do. Gospel is not something you did, but something that Jesus did for you. That's the idea. But the real thing that is the most profoundly important to Bach when he sets this music is that the law is what you must do, but we will always fail to do it correctly. 100%, right? We're never going to score 100% on the law. We can try to do things right, and there's merit in doing so. But Bach, as a Protestant Lutheran, understood that you could not just be good enough to be like divinely saved by just being perfect. And no one was. And so that's why you needed the perfect being through Jesus to save you. The people at Bach's church knew this, and that's why when he approached them with this absolutely terrifying cantata and its themes, they understood that those people that are being described in the cantata, those people who have refused to receive correction and have made their faces harder than a rock, they've still got a chance. I mean, they're not gone. Right. They could be turned. There's nothing, there's nothing in the rule book that says They've done too many bad things, and they are beyond saving, you know? Right. It's like the repent and be saved thing, you know? There's kind of like that, maybe that image that some of us might have of people holding up signs saying, like, repent or go to hell, you know? They're, they're focusing on the negative part of it, which is which Christians believe to be true. The positive side of it being the, the flip side of it, right? Being repent and be saved, right? Those are the two options in most Christian theologies, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've always found those apocalyptic sign holders to be, I think, really missing the point. I mean, if the theology tells you that that's true, it's still not the message you want to, you necessarily want to share on the well, yeah, and the side of the freeway. Presentation of of the message is super important, right? I mean, that's why those that's why those sign holders are always like. That's why there's almost like that stigma against that kind of person because it's like, oh, this that's the repent or go to hell type of person. It's like, I mean, technically Christians believe that, right? Like the, the larger Christian church does agree with that. It's, it has to do with the presentation though. So when you have something like this is a cantata, it's even though it is, like you say, kind of doom and gloom, mm. the the presentation of it, it is a lot more nuanced, right? There's there's this uh, there's this painting, there's text painting, the music is telling you something and there's there's this glimpses there's these glimpses of hope that are built into the poetry here and the music reflects this with little glimpses of sort of um happiness that that happened throughout the the work right and 
think about how, like for instance, in the last chorale, it says like, help, help me Jesus so I can come to you today and make repentance. Before the swift, the swiftness of death overtakes me, so that I can be ready for my journey to heaven, right? All these things. It's doom and gloom in a lot of it, but then there's little moments of hope. It'd be like if someone was trying to convince you to, to run a marathon and said, run a marathon, it is very painful. Like that's not, that's not what you would lead with, right? Or would, run a marathon. If you don't, uh, you'll never be in good shape or something. Yeah. You'll never, you'll never be fit. You'll just, you know, if you don't, you'll never be healthy or something like that. Like, right. Yeah. That's not what you do. And the reason why people are marathons is they say like, run a marathon. It's going to be a life-changing experience. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be a personal journey and it's going to be fulfilling in some way. Yeah. Of course, it's going to be awfully hard at some points. In fact, sometimes miserably hard. Mm-hmm. And enough to make you want to quit. And some people might quit. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you should lead with... I mean, you should, you know... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the analogy is has been explained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Bach was free to write this beautiful church music that had this really kind of terrifying theme. But that's why he chose to use that devilish musical interval in my moment of Bach today, which is from the impressive opening chorus. And it's not at the beginning. Later on in the chorus, the sentence, the words are, they have made their faces harder than a rock. Sie haben ein härter Angesicht denn ein Fels. This is the phrase that Bach decides to focus on with the tritone. And actually, there's two tritones in this musical phrase. There's one, from this note to this note. And then there's one, from this note to this note. It's pretty dissonant stuff. It is. Sie haben ein Härte angesicht ein Fels. So there's two tritones in there. If you had to assign Do, Re, Mi, Solfege singing to this, I guess it would be something like, it changes a lot, but you might say, Do, Fa, 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 Ti, Ti, Do, Re, Me, Me, Re, Do, Fi. So you have Fa, Ti, there's one, and then Do, Fi. So actually the tritones are near each other. Yeah. But that's a strange, like I've said, it's a strange interval for a melody, especially twice, and especially with one of them being at the end of the phrase of the melody. And Bach goes on, of course, to weave a fugue out of all of the parts of the choir doing this. Nice moment later, too, when the parts have all entered, then the violin one and oboe one take on the melody even higher. And the words specifically that have these tritone leaps, the herter, they're harder and then ein Feltz, a rock and when the phrase ends you can almost 
sort of feel th- their stubbornness. Yeah. It's like musically they've they've been stubborn and musically they've refused to be in harmony, you know, in harmonious yeah. notes. Yeah, we talked almost. about in episode 23 about the credo and how that sounds beautiful and harmonious. It sounds like all these different people on their different notes, but all singing the same text, credo in unum deum, right? I believe in one God and they're all agreeing in that. And here's a great example of the opposite of that. This sort of discordant sounds from people who are not wanting to repent or not wanting to agree. The power of music in Bach's time, especially the contrapuntal nature of the music, the counterpoint, the voices against other voices had these two powers. Like you say, Alex, it could have the power to make everyone feel like they're all united because they're all repeating the same thing one after another. But in this case, it kind of feels like the bad guys are all united in being bad or they're all scattered and they've lost their way because the musical intervals show that the twist and turn of the melody is really all over the place. Yeah, speaking of the bad guys being united with what this reminds me the most of is, is the crucify him part of the St. Matthew Passion. La Sin Kreuzigen. And there's a couple of those Lassen in the St. Matthew Kreuzigen. Passion. It's, it reminds me of this. It's very tritone heavy. It all checks out, you know, in terms of Baroque uh, music. It's not like it's it's not so out there that it doesn't really follow the rules, but it it sounds very dissonant. It's harsh, uh, harsh like a thorny or rocky, and like yeah, exactly a, like a rock, harder than a rock. <laughs> and now, here is Christian's moment from the opening chorus of Herr Deine Augen, BWV one zero two. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this piece, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of Herr Deine Augen by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. If you do that, you get all the new episodes downloaded to your device without even having to do it yourself. 
You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, amomentofbach.com. If you give us a rate and a review, that helps us out. It helps other people to find the podcast, and it helps them to see what we're all about. So we appreciate that. Okay. So what's next, Alex? We'll take a look at the Chromatic Fantasia and Fugue in D minor, BWV 903. Until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs>